Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. How's it going? <laughs> that was very toned down. Pretty good. How are you doing, my friend? Good. There's a lot of fun stuff we're going to be going over this week in the type world. New York City, a spring is springing here and leaves are blooming and tulips are everywhere. So feeling like my uh, seasonal sadness is wiping away from me. About darn time. I've seen a lot of beautiful pictures of New York springtime this year. It's not bad. Not I bad. like it. I like it. I'm over here in summer. So yeah, you're in constant summer. Getting a farmer's tan. I know. I saw living proof of this today, everyone. It actually happened. <laughs> also, um, fun fun side personal note, getting my first vaccine today. Oh, yeah. That is awesome news. Which vaccine are you getting? I think Pfizer. Pfizer. That's the classy one. People are <laughs> that making one tastes up, like champagne. Yeah, people are making up such weird stereotypes for all the vaccines. And they say like Pfizer is like the rich person's brand name because it's like has a fancy spelling but i got the pfizer too you're gonna be fine on the first shot might feel crappy on the second shot but it's a good darn thing congratulations well i'm seeing you later today to talk about the next workshop so you'll see how i feel yes i am virtually seeing you later today i'm like micah are you traveling here (laughs) no i wish amazing so we got some really great links this week lots of like future looking links talking about trends in type design from the past and looking towards the future and where things are leading towards as well as just like a really great educational write-ups and blog post and little teaser for our nerd alert we're talking about open source what's the deal with open source what does it mean i think recently i've gotten some inquiries about like how do you get started in the community like what does open source even mean does it mean that it's free does it mean that everyone can contribute to it does it mean that things that are free but have certain licenses are open source we're gonna kind of cover a bunch of stuff that are the open-ended questions that often come about for that's open gonna source be fun things. i like it yeah yeah something i actually like- know stuff about I know I'm going to be prompting you to contribute to this one, but you have a whole wealth of knowledge, so I'm sure it's going to go great. Our first article comes from Monotype. And so apparently, I didn't know this, Monotype, I think, does a trends report in typography every year, and they have just released their 2021 trends report. I believe you have to sign up with an email to download the report. They sent it through on our uh, company Slack channel. But if you don't want to download the report, there's a really great, like, kind of half hour video that's an overview of the trends that they talk about. And that's what I actually watched this morning and found it super informative. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not usually one to like watch videos about typography. I just feel like my attention span is all over the place, but I just found this one so interesting with so much great inspiration and so many great insights as to what we may start seeing in the typography world. So that's pretty exciting. And they cover all sorts of stuff. I'm not going to share everything. I don't want to spoil it. They're talking about, you know, they showed a few examples of JKR work. So I think that's why it was shared in our Slack channel at work, talking about, you know, the trend towards kind of softer serif type that isn't so harsh. They're talking about how for so long we have seen this mix of humanist and geometric sans serifs like Avenir and Gotham and Futura and how that's really dominated kind of like the millennial branding and seeing how we're moving away from that and how, you know, there's all sorts of different type designs we might see. They talk about even 
the blocky Twitch logo that uses kind of inspiration from pixel-based fonts and how that's actually gaining traction with a lot of like cybersecurity companies and people in the tech world and AR and VR world. And so everything that they talked about also talked about culture as a whole, and they gave good references to where the type designs came from in the first place. Even one of their type trends was called the Star Wars R, which is an R that had an extended mm. running diagonal leg and how that's actually getting brought into a bunch of typefaces. And so they give great examples of the work existing right now and the branding studios that have worked on them, as well as, of course, some monotype typefaces that you can find that match these trends because right. overall they do have to market themselves. But I thought it was very intriguing and exciting to see that they covered. I have all 11 categories in front of me. I think there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, like there's 12 categories that they found as trends that could be existing, whether they're short-lived or leading us into the future. But it was really robust and really entertaining. This is super interesting. I also have downloaded it. And I have to say, the only one that I'm, I'm skeptical about is the virtual reality type. I feel like mm -hmm. people have been talking about that for like three years now. Mm -hmm. and I don't know that many people that have virtual reality in their daily life or the reality even. There's every once in a while, there's a novel app that you're like, oh, I should try this. But for the most part, it's just not, not integrated into life yet. I don't know if it will be. We'll see. I, I had similar feelings about actually the first trend they go over variable speed. You know, it's like the polish share type of type where the type's really wide and then it gets skinny and then it gets wide again. And it's like has all these different varying widths in the type. And it looks like polish shares public theater works. I'm like, okay, that's been around for a minute. But, you know, some of the ideas they actually get at pretty interesting trends that I've been seeing and people haven't really spoken about, like the languid serif. It's one mm. of the trends they talk about, which is the undulating lines of very precious type that sometimes looks like it's from a Victorian era, like extra ornamental and decorative. I'm glad they touched on that sort of thing as well. And even the idea of pixel-based fonts, like the new Twitch logo, which I'm a very big fan of coming into Vogue is a pretty interesting insight that they were able to grab. How new is that Twitch logo? I think you've mentioned that a couple of times now, and I, I just okay. like that. It's probably been around for a year or two. At oh, least okay. a year, but it still feels like Twitch could have just done the geometric or humanist sands that look like Avenir and probably could have gone away with it. But I love that they just leaned into this like weird retro vibe to it, even though it's not retro at all. It's very much the future of gaming and stuff like that. But it's gaming. So it, like, it's at least an understandable reference. Yeah, like, yeah you're right. Yeah. But uh, this is really neat. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate it. Was it hard to download, Micah? No, it's just one of those annoying things where you're like, give us all your information about you. And even even the ones where it's like, put in your company name. And I'm like, oh, all right, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, good to know, though. Good to know. I know the PDF was floating around, so I never actually downloaded it. But the PDF is a really great overview. If you want something to put on the background, I suggest the video. Word. Cool. Our next article we got is from a monotype alum. Toshi Omagari, who's a famous type designer, and he did an article called Ink Traps and Pals. This is very fun. It's been widely shared throughout the typographic community. It is robust and thorough, but I think it has really interesting deep dives. It feels like a nerd alert in itself. It talks about ink traps and type design and what they were meant for. You know, we put their ink traps in type to allow for type to get really, really small and still kind of retain a decent production value when it gets printed. Uh, they talk about the history of ink traps. They show a great example of what the United Nations logo did for their logo. 
you know, for smaller scales, they got rid of a lot of details. So that's like the same concept of ink traps and how that gets brought into other pieces of design. And it talks about light traps, which I didn't know about, but they are little spikes that get added to the outer corners of the type. And that was used during photo setting days so that using the light reproduction process, it it would automatically make the edges quite fuzzy and slightly quote unquote out of focus. But by using light traps, (laughs) extending the mark making of the letter form out a little bit, it could create uh, letter forms that are more true to their form and how they're meant to look like. And this was a concept I was not familiar with at all. Yeah, I have to agree. And there's a couple of really good illustrations of, you know, this is normal and this is how it would print. And this is mm-hmm. modified. And then you realize that it prints in what you want the normal to look like. Yeah, I love seeing those examples. There was also a great example that's just a great tip for beginning type designers that I feel like I came across eventually is that, you know, if you are coming, if your vectors for your Bezier curves are coming to a point, like let's say you have a pointy condensed V, you could see how that would come just to a point. You just think, oh, I just make one vertex at the bottom of my V. Well, they show examples of having that pointy of a point in your type might be uncomfortable to the human eye. So even if you have a pointy letter, you can make just the slightest horizontal ledge for the bottom of the V that's almost imperceptible by the eye, but will help kind of polish your type to be more comfortable to look at, which I thought was a great tip. That is, it's a shame that that's in so deep in this article, because I think a lot of people probably won't get that far into it. But that's one of those professional type designer techniques that doesn't ever get talked about that you're kind of like how does anybody know this stuff Mm -hmm. and this is a perfect visual example of why that's such a useful tiny detail as your designing type yeah i feel like i definitely had to do an investigation related to that i was doing a semi-serif that was supposed to look like old roman capitals and so the serifs come to a point and then i looked at a bunch of, of fonts that were similar and i noticed none of them actually came to just one point it was like a point that looked like a point but actually was a small line that mm-hmm. helped ease that quote-unquote point in your mind so i wish i had this going into that as well yeah this is great so fun also he links to fonts and uses page about just instances of type that has ink traps because he also mentions how ink traps are very popular to design into fonts right now and are getting a little bit gimmicky which i don't totally disagree but i thought was pretty interesting if you don't even know what an ink trap is you want to see good examples or a variety of examples this fonts and use page has some recent examples of ink traps i think are pretty interesting good catch good catch very fun Our next article is by the Boundary Grilly Type, making a lot of awesome type that you're probably seeing out in the world today. And it is a web fonts guide. This was fun. I don't use web fonts very often. I'm surprised this is fun for that reason alone. But there were some interesting ideas. I feel like when you were teaching me about you know, using fonts on the web, we never went into kerning, mostly because I don't think it was super applicable to the work I was doing. But I didn't really even know that you could kern fonts on the web. And they talk about those features in this article, as well as different ways you can make your type 
look really crafted? Like how do you put on non-lining figures when you're designing type on a page? And what letter spacing should you be extra cautious about and different tactics? And they explain all the different kind of font files, which I always find interesting because I always forget what they all mean. I always forget it. I'll never retain this information. I'm sorry. That was a that was helpful too. So I think it's a great overview, especially for people that aren't using it every day to know about some of the features they get when they use. A font. There's a couple there's a couple of really good things in this that make it especially worth bookmarking. I feel the need to to clarify you can't kern on the web. You can only turn on or off the built-in kerning of the font. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, All right. Sorry, Sorry everyone. No, I was spreading fake news. So, you know, I'm glad I have the expert here. <laughs> and and that's basically a lot of what it's talking about here is like, there are font features that some you have to turn on, some you have the ability to turn off. And it's, it's a little obnoxious, dare I say, because browsers are all different and browsers sometimes turn on things and don't tell you that they're on. Sometimes you have to turn them on and you don't know. And so this is a useful bookmarkable reference of what are the features of fonts that you might care about. And, you know, they're weird acronyms like C alt, meaning contextual alt mm. or something. Okay. That makes sense. Well, I'm glad you also thought it was bookmark worthy though. It wasn't yeah. Really and actually what I, one of the other things I really love is the font smoothing section of this, because that's often misunderstood in the world of web that different operating systems render fonts differently and you have a minute amount of control over how that looks. Mm -hmm. And then there's a nice caution for this particular feature called optimized legibility, which is a handful of features that you might want on, but you might not. And it kind of explains a little bit behind that. Plus they have all this stuff about be wary uploading your fonts to GitHub. If you don't have the right license for it, that's illegal even if you didn't mean to. Oh, interesting. You know, if you paid for a font and you're working on an open source project or even just a project that you don't want to pay to have private on GitHub and you just don't think about it and the font's in the website, suddenly that's a font anybody can download, you know? Good to know. Good to know. A lot of good stuff wow. in here. Great find. Great Love find. It. Steph, she's our magical design intern. I just want to give her shout outs oh, yes. all the time, especially for this last article, which is, I feel like one that we wouldn't typically pick up. But again, like the monotype video this week, I was just so intrigued. I mean, I just love talking about like branding in the world and thinking about how it's going to move forward in the future. But this is really about design and business and the slew of millennial companies like we were talking about that all have similar design traits and how that design is integrated into their marketing and integrated into their messaging and how they have kind of gotten so many people to buy into the Casper mattress, the Brooklyn and sheets, the Meeson pans and kitchenware, which I very much use the away bags, which I also have. Like, I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm the culprit to all of these. You know, they talk about like six different toothbrush brands for millennials that all have branding that looks almost identical. And it's the same pastel color palettes. It's the same like pared down type that has one cute little quirk to it 
to make it feel different. And so this article, which is from Bloomberg, does talk a lot about the business of the design and the business of these companies and how they kind of hook people in, but maybe what they are necessarily hiding at the same time. And will kind of just like make you feel just a little bit skeptical of the next new brand you see that's launched and wondering like, is this something that's bringing usefulness to the world? Or is this something that looks like the things that I've done really well and are also marketed towards me. So maybe I want to give it a shot. And it goes Mm. into that whole psychology. Fascinating. This is, I, this, okay. I appreciate, I don't think I appreciated when I first started reading, but once I got into it, I appreciate now the fact that this says Bloomberg opinion way up at the top. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and even the fact that I don't even know if you specifically mentioned this, but the whole point here is that is that he's calling them blands instead of brands, which mm-hmm. I think is very clever and totally on point, even if it's a little you know, cheeky. And and I I you know I fit into this too. Like I own Warby Parker. Literally, the the brand that opened with this is Colgate unveiling Hum, their smart toothbrush, which I totally have in the bathroom right now. And I love that it's going through and being like you know, we're making this new cheeky category called blands Mm -hmm. and blands are this blands are that like they all follow these patterns Mm -hmm. and this is why they are working on you. So fascinating. You know, they talk about how they're all kind of give this tone of voice that's anti-corporate, but they're really just venture capitalist funded in the end. Mm -hmm. They talk about how they're direct to consumer. So it makes it almost seem like it's not involved with all these corporations we're familiar with because they're saying, oh, we're cutting out the middleman. They Mm -hmm. have this catch that's like, there's only one right toothbrush and you haven't tried it yet. And I think what it really brings it down to the visuals that we talk about every week on our podcast was the visually, they're simple, they're neutral, they're flat. The palette is plain and pastel with the occasional vibrant splash. The mood is upbeat and happy or pensive and cool, but never truly real. And the dress code is smart casual. And if they were a gender, they'd be non-binary, embrace the pronouns they, them, there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are all the brands that I see all the time on the subway ads. I was just going to say that I remember living in Brooklyn and being like, wow, another brand with advertisements that look exactly like that. Mm -hmm. And it's totally speaking to that technology, hipster, you know, high middle income, but living in an expensive city and trying to be cool, which was, you know, that was me. (laughs) It's really mind blowing when they start breaking down all the similarities, you know, they even talk about theories of 1984 and they kind of do a quote from 1984 about someone buying this specific brand that is selling all these different products. And it doesn't necessarily mean their quality, but if they can give the design perception that it is high quality, it looks like the higher end products, like they can convince people to buy it. And they talk about how the end game for a lot of these brands isn't necessarily to be the best of their brand, but you're going to start seeing that these brands are just trying to buy other brands and acquire brands. And they give all these, they have all these examples where I'm like, oh my God, like Uber and Postmates, Lululemon and Mirror, which is a new workout company and distributor and PetSmart and Chewy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. They just, it really does a deep dive into the design trope that we've all been hating on for so long and talks and goes just one level deeper until your mind is so blown. And they talk about all the naming, how they all have the same naming calculators. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of them use characters 
Warby Parker is from two Jack Kerouac characters, Floyd, which is this really hip furniture store, Billy, which I bought razors from Billy before. And then you can do characters or you can do, you know, color and noun, blue apron, black milk, purple carrot, green chef. And it's just like, I I just can't right now. Like, like I'm, my mind was so blown. This was such a great piece. Here's the thing is there's a lot of people out there who are working for startups like this. And there's a lot of people who like these brands. I mean, I'm one of like, I like lots of these brands, right? So I think it's become so pervasive because we designers mimic what they think is working without really understanding the story behind it. And even though this is kind of a snarky take on these things, it's kind of important, I think, as a designer who might be working at one of these places or a place who is visually trying to mimic this of mm-hmm. why that's working and and the context that you're designing in without just designing inconsiderately. Don't just design for stuff that you like and you think looks good marketed towards people like you, but instead understand why these brands are designed this way and do Mm -hmm. it intentionally. That's where the usefulness of this deep dive, I think, can come. For sure. And I think it's an interesting examination of where things were and how to even build on that. I think you mentioned that and how to differentiate yourself from the category once you see all these logos together. And you're like, oh my gosh, these could all be owned by the same person. And like even like look twice. And it's so funny. And it brings me back to one of the trends that the monotype article mentioned was the funky R, the R with the diagonal leg. And even in here, the first example, Claire is one of the brands and the R has a little curve. And even the the Casper logo has just a little, little just quirk in the C. So it's interesting seeing how it manifests itself typographically where it's like, oh, we're super streamlined, minimal, but we had that one little thing that can make us different, you know? Yeah, totally. And Nating, oh my goodness. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, If you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, At the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. All right, Micah. It's time. It's time for Nerd Alert, everyone. Okay. All right. Today, we are talking about open source, a beautiful term that describes things that we offer at the lead and also just a whole movement in general. It can describe a community, can describe software. I guess I'll start from the top where you often see open source being referred to as open source software, which is a software with source code that anyone can inspect, modify, enhance. It is uh, 
shared and is publicly accessible. Wikipedia has a really not fun version of this definition, as in it's a type of computer software in which source code is released under a license in which the copywriter holder grants users the rights to study, change, and distribute the software to anyone and for any purpose. So those are like pretty big terms that we just laid out. And I think the past couple of weeks, I've had a couple of people in the design community wonder, how can I start contributing to the open source community? And what does it really mean? And I'm really intrigued by it, but I don't even know where to start. And I feel like that's super valid. And so I kind of want to talk about what is open source? Why open source? Why should you choose to contribute or start a project? How to contribute? And what it means economically? People wonder if it's free or not. And what is and what isn't open source? So what does open source mean to you, Micah? As someone that's been participating in the open source community for uh, a decade at least. And why did you get into it and your thoughts around it? I think the significant of open source for me is the ability to build off of it. That has always been, I think, number one for me, because even, you know, my experience with open source is not limited to just the league. It is basically the league came about as an idea because I was teaching myself how to program and I would never have been able to pick anything up or make anything or learn anything if programmers hadn't made little modules that I could pull into a project and suddenly have a feature that I wouldn't know how to build on my own. And so that, you know, that for me, that kind of started in the world of literally building software. One of my first projects was building a tool to be able to publish, upload your work and build portfolios online and stuff like uploading files. I mean, also this is going to sound old, but it was back in 2000 eight and that like uploading files was extremely difficult back then it's still kind of tough but it was it was so so difficult and i would never have been able to build a tool where you could upload files and have images resized on a server like i just wasn't that smart yet i didn't know how to build that stuff and so people had written code to do those specific features because somebody smarter than me had to build something like that and they built it and they were like you know what this is going to help somebody else so i'm gonna make it so anybody can use this and on top of that make it so that anybody can understand how it works by looking at how i built it and i wanted to apply that to the design world too i you know i don't see much of a difference so Mm -hmm. i think for me the number one piece was enabling me as a beginner to do more advanced stuff. And I learned by building the stuff. And Mm -hmm. then you get better because you have a win under your belt of, wow, I just made this thing. It's crazy. And -hmm. then you slowly are like, okay, but if I want to change this tiny piece of how that works, now I have to go investigate how they built it and see if I could change it. And you're allowed Mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really powerful as far as, you know, as a society and people that are trying to learn how to kind of give them the autonomy to take something and break it apart, reverse engineer it and learn from it. I think that's so important. And so you kind of mentioned your experience as a young designer using open source to help your education. I'm curious how you see that it's beneficial. Why would people open source their work that they've started? Oh, dude. Well, okay. So the first company that I ever worked for out of college, they became one of the top programming consultancies in their language and field and whatever. 
because they just constantly kept open sourcing useful tools and then everybody mm. was using their tools to build stuff and suddenly you're like oh they're the guys who are putting out the smart tools that i rely on and and suddenly they became famous not suddenly i mean i'm sure it took lots of time but they became famous because they were they were putting out all these tools and looking like an authority interesting that's a good perspective i feel like I did a lot of research as to why would someone do this for their software? And there was people that were like, if it's a hobby and you're practicing, and then all of a sudden it gives you visibility in a whole different lane, like you said, gives someone authority. But even if you aren't perfect at building stuff or building tools or even creating fonts, if you put it out into the world, people can catch bugs. So people can sure. let you know, hey, we found this um, might be worth modifying it to help improve whatever you've made. Or people can take it upon themselves to edit what you've made and improve or enhance it. In that sense, just kind of fostering a community I think that's a recent discussion that's been brought up with open source is open source can be thought of more as an approach to life, which I know is really big picture, but it is the idea of being willing to share knowledge and collaborating with others in a way that is really transparent so that others can watch and join too. It's about embracing failure as a means of improving. If you don't put out something that's perfect, there's still improvement. And then it's this idea of potentially encouraging other people to do the same. And I think this whole idea about transparency and community oriented is something that's really at the core of the league. But I think like where our beliefs are really rooted in. And I just think it's so interesting because if you take the idea of transparency and the idea of embracing failures as a mean to improving. It's the approach to open source can be so useful in general accessibility. If we all put up our dirty laundry of here, here's my past five years as a freelancer. Here's my rates that I made my first year. Here are the mistakes I made. Here's where I've gotten better. You can see how this idea of putting that knowledge out there and that transparency out there can only boost the community in general. So I love that idea of taking open source and bringing it to other parts. And I think what you mentioned is that open source really started with software and with coders, but you brought it into fonts. And that is was really novel at the time. And it's something that I certainly don't take for granted. And it's something that other very important people in the industry like Google also thinks is an important thing. So I think we can say open source and some people have this misconception that oh, open source just means something's free and that's the benefit that I'm receiving. But it's crazy when you start looking at in a broader picture of how much a bigger impact it can make rather than just economic free things. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's, it's kind of fascinating once you recognize a handful of open source pieces, how much everyone relies on it. Really? I mean, classic example that probably doesn't get talked about in our world enough is we all, we all use websites constantly. We entirely depend on the internet to run. And what do you think the internet runs on? It's computers that are running Linux. Mm -hmm. And Linux was one of the first open source platforms to exist. And now it is it is secretly ubiquitous. Like, yes, a lot of us use Macs in the industry, in the design industry. Plenty of people use Windows. Both of those are proprietary softwares. But everything else that we are depending on, like the router that is powering my internet is running on Linux. The mm -hmm. Zoom, the server that we're recording this on, is powered by Linux. And mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's that's literally base level zero. All of the tools to Chrome and I mean, just literally all of the web technologies that you use to interact with anything are all open source tools behind it. And I think if people understood the, it's probably a hundred layers of utility that are leading up wow. to you being able to do some function just mm-hmm. by opening a browser and needing to, I mean, I want to say posts on Facebook, but like who posts on Facebook anymore? Posts on Instagram, whatever. I don't yeah. know. And there's, you know, the tools to build the app on your phone are open source. Like Instagram, the app depends on open source features and tools. And the way that it communicates to the servers is open source. And then the servers are open source. And then the tools that are running on the servers are open source. It's just bonkers. Yeah, that's wild. And I was just reaching the tip of that iceberg when I was doing that research, but it's so helpful to hear you lay it out. There's We're so much more surrounded by it than I think we. it seems like. And everyone's like, oh, I'm just learning what open source means. And are, are just learning just small little chunk when in actuality, we've been living around open source for so long and benefiting from it. I think people that want to contribute, that's what I've been hearing a lot. I actually found a nice site called opensource.guide, which I believe was created by GitHub, but that I included in the newsletter. And it shows you resources that can help you discover and contribute to new projects. So there's GitHub Explore, and then there's a bunch of other links. One's called Open Source Friday, 24 pull requests up for grabs. So there's about 10 or so links in that article that can lead you to places if you do want to contribute, which is pretty exciting. And I think that idea of communities getting fostered, that doesn't even talk about the open source communities that I've been kind of seeing in the fringes of the internet that people are really embracing and talking about how you don't necessarily have to be a coder to contribute to open source. You can, you know, help open source software develop design guidelines and help design something for that. You can do project management for open source as well. A lot of open source projects go through GitHub, which Mm. in 30 seconds or less, can you explain what GitHub is? GitHub is uh, a website more than a website, it's a server with a website that lets you store and contribute, lets multiple people contribute. They have tons of tools to make it easier to contribute with Git, which is a way to collaborate on code. Okay, yeah, that's helpful. And that's where a lot of people in the open source community can also kind of be fault found revolving around GitHub for sure. I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought all open source software is free software. I thought that was a one-to-one equal. And because that's the case with a lot of fonts, but it's pretty interesting that some companies will need to make some sort of profit. And so they'll sell services and products related to open source software. Maybe you can get a premium version of a software if you pay for it, that's additional features. So they can allow a base level version of the software to be out there free of charge. So yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. There's also services where the software is free, but if you want support, you have to pay extra for it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're thinking about creating a project and open sourcing it, I think monetary profit can be of concern for many people. And so I think there's interesting approaches to how to make an open source project and still be able to sustain it because even sustaining a website costs money. We know that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think it's pretty important to notice that in the font world, and maybe you're more familiar with stuff out in the developing world, but some people will say free fonts and then be like, oh, free free and open source, they're the same thing, but not necessarily because you can have a font that's free, but the license might not let you modify and redistribute it 
Therefore, it's not open source. So it has to have a license that says it's open source to actually be considered open source. Yeah, there's there's kind of a catchphrase that has been going around the open source community for as long as I've known about it, which is like free as in speech or free as in beer. Have you ever heard of that? No, I heard a fun catchphrase that I'm going to share in a bit, but tell me more about that one. I mean, it, it always honestly confused me a little bit, but if you if you Google free as in beer, there's a pretty good snippet from Wikipedia, which is the difference between, I'm going to sound like an idiot because it's, it's Latin, gratis versus mm-hmm. libre, right? Okay, interesting. So it's, you know, either gratis being at, at no monetary cost, or with little to no restriction, right? Beer is like getting something without payment. Free as in speech relates to the free software movement, meaning you're allowed to do anything with it. Okay. Yeah, okay. So that actually, oh, that that is the answer, is free as in beer, meaning free fonts. Like here's a here's a free font. There might be a restriction on it. Maybe it's only personal use or something, but it's free. Okay. And you don't have to pay to use it. Okay. Free speech is more referencing the fact that you're allowed to use this thing and modify it and share it. And I love that. Yeah. I love that. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I can't catchphrase, but that's always, you know, I kind of want to research this catchphrase of it. This is pretty interesting. You know, who would know a lot about that is Dave Crossland. He basically started Google fonts Mm -hmm. and he's been, he personally has been like rallying for open source in the typography world since he was in school. Well, I mean, that is open source is helping make things more accessible, giving people access to the interior files that someone can open up and modify, I think is pretty important. And the same way that I felt like I learned Illustrator really, really early on by copying what my teacher did, and then they draw a path with a pen tool, then I draw a path with a pen tool. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think similar ideas are definitely existing there. A fun catchphrase that I heard of while researching this was copy left. Do you know about Mm. copy left licenses? My understanding, tell me if I'm wrong, is just that it's very liberal ideas of what copyright should be. Yes. Copy left license. An example of that is someone, if someone releases a modified open source program, they must also release the source code for that program alongside it. So if you're going to benefit from open source and modify something based on that open source license, you must also you know, make your source publicly available, kind of like this just continuation of sharing. There's a really interesting site that's kind of old, but still relevant that was also made by GitHub called choosealicense.com. So if you're listening, you can check that out. It's interesting. I mean, it's mostly geared towards software. I'm not sure uh, font open source licenses are included in that, but it has a good breakdown of you go here and you're like this is what i care about or like here's three choices of what i care about and here's examples of projects that use these three different licenses and then there's also just information about what are all of the options and it's a nice little table of you can do this you can't do that and then Hmm. there's an interesting side note of non-software licenses which unfortunately the sil open font license is in that category which i don't think is accurate but it's still in there. And then the other ones are the Creative Commons licenses, mm. which I think, you know, when you say copy left, that's the first thing I think of is Creative Commons. 
Interesting. Ugh, I love getting nerdy about this stuff. We actually, fun side note, we started the league not knowing about the SIL open font license, the SIL OFL. And so we actually are the first iteration of the league site. All of the fonts were Creative Commons. Oh, interesting. After consulting a few smart people, we realized that that was a good general license, but wasn't specific enough to typography. And then that was Mm. how we found the OFL. I love that little nugget of league history. So fun. Well, Micah, thanks so much for participating in this and bringing all your wealth and knowledge on this subject. I feel like I learned so much from you and I knew you'd have really good insights to this. What a fun surprise. I love when you surprise me with this kind of stuff. I had my questions ready. I'm like, Micah, (laughs) it is story time. You are are on the spot today, but it was really If anybody does have uh, questions... For what it's worth, we're we're going to be launching that licensing book that we talked about 10 billion years ago soon, because Olivia keeps saying, when are we launching that? And I keep saying soon. And so there's a lot of information in that about this kind of stuff. But if you have any other specific questions that you have been wondering about copyleft licensing or open source or what you can and can't do, that's why we got an email inbox. Oh yeah. And I've been, I've been responding to everyone last week. So we are actually looking at that. I promise. (laughs) It might always be a little bit delayed, but we are looking. Thank you for that, by the way. All right, Micah. Good, good episode. So fun. So fun. All right. We'll, we'll obviously be sharing more great stuff next week. Do, 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 do.